we find ourselves at the end of day six. And it slows down a little bit because we find ourselves essentially at the end of the, the pinnacle of creation, which is the creation of human beings. And I, I hope that we find some uh, encouragement for ourselves in the midst of seeing how God created us. I am not sure if you follow different awards shows, you might be aware of a song by Billie Eilish uh, called What Was I Made For? Uh, It was the song of the year at at the Grammys that has done fairly well. It's resonated with a lot of people. Uh, What Was I Made For? It's from the Barbie movie. Uh, And so there are probably a number of reasons that uh, the song is successful, popular movie, popular artist, uh, and, and a theme that resonates with a lot of people. Uh, Billie Eilish says in, in the song, uh, well, a- after she's recorded the song and listens to it in an interview, she says she realizes, oh, that song is about me. It was written for the movie, but then she, she realizes it resonates with her, which is the experience that a lot of people have had. I think it's telling of our culture, uh, some of the things that she says, that she used to be in a better position. I used to float, now I just fall down. I used to know what I... What I I used to know, but I'm not so sure now. What was I made for? What was I made for? Um, And then she laments that now she doesn't know how to feel. I want to try, but I don't know how to feel. Someday I might. Someday I might. When did it end? All the enjoyment. I'm sad again. Uh, Don't tell my boyfriend. It's not what he's made for. And again, what was I made for? I don't know how to feel, but I want to try. The thing that's telling is that so much of knowing what she's made for is tied to how she feels. That's telling of our culture that says that what you're made for is determined by how you feel inside. We, we determine that we decide uh, how we feel determines who we are, determines uh, identity. And we've talked about already in this series that God has created a world and invited us in to understand what he created that we have been invited to discover the meaning that he's given instead of creating meaning ourselves. And all of that said, the reality is that this song resonates with us because no matter where we end up, uh, every one of us asks this question, what was I made for? It resonates with every single one of us. But we're, we're, we're asking that question uh, throughout our lives, what was I made for? And to be clear, I'm not saying that emotions and the way we feel don't matter, but they're not the fundamental thing that determines who we are and what we were made for. And we're only beginning, we're only going to begin to get a look at what we were made for in this passage. We're not going to have all the answers. And even scripturally, we could give a lot of answers to those questions, glorify God, enjoy him forever. We could talk about uh, loving God and loving our neighbor Um, We could talk about the Great Commission. We could talk about a lot of things that we're made for. But what we find in this passage is the beginning of us actually being made, and that's speaking into what we were made for. What what can we learn about who we are? And and I think one of the things that we find as we see this passage, in the beginning, God creating, before, this is really hard for me to get my mind around, but before the fall enters in, Genesis 3, before brokenness, and mess and the twisting of God's good creation enters into the world, we see this picture of creation, including the picture of human beings. And in the midst of that, I think one of the things that we find is the incredible value placed on every single human, everyone created in the image of God. And so as we look, we're going to see your value and, and 
Uh, and that is specifically to each and every one of you to think about your value as one created in the image of God, their value, so you can look around you and you can think about the other people outside and the other 8 billion people around the world, think about their value, and then lastly, his value. And um, it shouldn't be a surprise if you're here that his value is Jesus's value. Let me uh, pray and we'll jump in. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to see the beauty of who we are created in you and the beauty of who all of us are in relationship to you. We pray that you would change us, make us more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Your value is rooted in a few different things that we find in this passage. As God uh, says uh, here in verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And you notice, you may notice the plural here. Uh, this is the majestic plural. We, we find that God and God alone is the one responsible for creation. We find that here. We find that in, uh, in Isaiah 40. We find it throughout scripture that there is one God. I do think even as Moses who wrote this didn't fully understand or maybe understand at all the Trinity, there is a, there is a, a reference here, uh, a looking forward to the Trinity here, uh, the, the mystery of the way that God works. But uh, I just want to note that as a little side note for you. But we find him saying... Diving down, jumping into the creation of man. And we'll, we'll see a little bit more of this as well. Uh, a more deeper perspective on the creation of male and female, uh, of Adam and Eve, in the next chapter. We're a few, a few weeks away from that. We have two more weeks actually on this passage. Next week will be Todd Dawkins preaching on this passage with a different angle. And, uh, and then me one more time, then we'll get into... Uh, chapter 2, but we find that the importance of the creation of human beings uh, is actually found in the time spent on it here in chapter 1 at the end of day 6, and then addressing it again and looking in more detail in chapter 2. And the fact that we structurally are created in the image of God after his likeness is incredibly uh, impacting in a way that I think we don't regularly think about. That finding ourselves in a place where we actually start here, instead of starting as, as you might have heard, the Christian, this, the Christian story might have been presented to you first as starting with the fact that you're sinful and that you need a savior. Uh, and it, it starts after the fall, but what we find here is that God starts actually, our story starts, the story that we've been invited to starts with this good and beautiful and right creation that human beings are created in the image of God. Uh, St. Augustine in the 4th, 5th century said in his book, Confessions, that we all are restless uh, until we find our rest in thee, in the Lord. That we were created in this way to be dependent upon the one who created us. That we're invited again in that idea to, to discover meaning rather than, than finding and creating it ourselves. We, we, we discover what God has given for us. That we're dependent upon the one who has created us. And that gives us this high place of value. Yes, we, we, have, we, we cannot understand creation apart from the fact that it's been twisted. Including ourselves. Including those around us. 
We, we live in that reality. Uh, and yet we, we find that even before the fall, we were created with this glory and with these limits as one was created by God. Lewis, C.S. Lewis writes uh, in multiple places about the image of God and the way uh, he, he gives some really beautiful picture to it. He says in Prince Caspian, one of the Chronicles of Narnia, it's Aslan having a conversation with Prince Caspian. And Prince Caspian is uh, a, he's a human being. And so they talk about that as being a, a son or a daughter of Adam and Eve. And Caspian says, as he's learning some of these things, he says, I was wishing that I came uh, of a more honor, honorable lineage. And Aslan says to him, you come of the Lord Adam and Lady Eve, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. This reminder of God creating us with this glory, reflecting his image, being made in his likeness, and that this is part of who we are as physical beings. So sometimes we get twisted in our mind that we think of ourselves as just our souls. And here there is this picture of physical creation, this physical creating uh, a man and a woman. It's consistent with the, what he's been doing in all of chapter one is he's creating the physical world in which we live. There's the land and the sea and the sky and there's the animals of the sea and the birds of the sky and there's the animals on the earth. He's creating the physical world. So here he's creating in his image physical beings and he's saying that your bodies matter, that your physicality matters, that it's part of, of who you are. If, if, um, if Dan were to walk up here and hit me in the face, uh, he would be hurting me. Please don't do that. Uh, he would be hurting me. Him hurting my body, attacking my body, assaulting my body would be, would be an assault on me. I don't separate that and say, well, that's just the, the container for myself. There, there is this clear picture of being in the image of God is being in our bodies with all of the mess that we, we bring to that, with all of the ways in which it's been marred by others and by ourselves, that there is something structurally, physically, good and right and beautiful about who we are created in his image. And, and to be clear, God has said all along at the end of each day, it is good looking at his creation. He gets to the end here, to the pinnacle of creation when human beings have been created. And he says in verse 31, he saw it and it is very good. He's celebrating and rejoicing in the creation that he has made. Even with its limitations, even with us being made from the dust, there's the physicality there being made from the dust or from the rib. There is this recognition of the physicality of ourselves, and, and, uh, and yet it is very good. There's something honorable. There is something valuable, something worthy. And there's this also this picture of the differentiation between us and other creatures that have been created, starting with uh, the the animals, the beasts of the sea and the birds of the air and the animals on the land. There's something different there. None of the other animals, none of the other creatures are asking, what was I made for? There, there's a clear difference here that us being made in his image is, is reflecting him, imaging him in ways that we, we can see that we do in, in all kinds of ways, that we can reason, that we can have language, that we can have morality. All of that is being part of his image. 
And it's true, we find in Scripture, even after the fall. So yes, we live after the fall, but clearly, scripturally, the value on human life continues. That there's something structurally there that matters even after the fall. We see it in Genesis 9, when there is a call to recognize the value of human life so that we don't take it. We see that as well in the New Testament in James chapter 3, where, there, where James essentially calls them out for, curse, uh, for blessing God, but then cursing those made in his image. But there's a disconnect there because we hold value as his image bearers. But it's not just structural, it's functional. I'm not going to get too much into to Todd's sermon from next week as he'll talk more about our relationship to creation and being fruitful and multiplying some of what we're called to. Uh, but we do find that even in our being, we functionally reflect God, who God is. That in a sense, we, we mirror him. We mirror him in the ways that we do care about and have the ability to reason and think about morality and language and all of those things. It's a reflection of who he is in his glory. We are representative of, of him. At this, when this was written, to think about people being in the image of God was, was that was a position that was only reserved for kings. Only kings talked about as being image bearers of God. But here, scripturally, we find in the Judeo-Christian story that every single human being reflects the image of God. So that when the kings then, they said, well, I reflect God, and so then I'm going to put my image out. I'm going to build statues of my image. Today we might think of uh, you know, dictators in North Korea putting their image everywhere to show their authority, to show their power, to, to show who's in control. God has put uh, this picture of he, him and his glory out in the world. And at this point, we have over 8 billion images of God demonstrating his glory in this world, but inviting us to be a part of it so that we would mirror who he is. And, and he is continually saying there is value here. There is something glorious about those created in his image. It's not just structural and functional. It's, it's relational. This, this fact that, that to, to be image bearers is in and of itself relational. This, this picture of God and the Trinity speaking in this plurality is uh, he is relational. We talked about this back in the fall, that God is Relational, and so that when he creates us, we're by nature relational. We see it in creation itself that we are, if we are image bearers, then we are defined by what we image. That we do not exist outside of relationship. We don't exist except as we exist in relationship to the one who created us. It's not just that he created us. Uh, it is that our very existence is defined by the way in which we relate to him. We image him. We are his likeness. And the beauty is that God has invited us into a relationship with him. And we see the ways that that plays out in, in much more specific ways uh, all throughout Scripture, beginning with the garden when he walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. But then as he begins to reestablish relationship after the fall, as he wants again and again, us to have relationship with him. This is this beautiful thing that we're invited into. And it is a reminder that 
in relationship with him, we find meaning and we answer that question of what we're made for in relationship to him. Christopher Watkin in his book, Thinking Through Creation, says, if I am in the image of one who is not myself, it means that my identity is irreducibly relational. I'm not the final court of appeal for questions about my own identity. God is a better and more accurate judge and guide to who I am at the, my most fundamental level than myself. Now, that's a challenge. That's pushing against the way that we think about things, that we want to identify ourselves. We want to define ourselves, and yet we're invited into this place where we find our identity in him, and it is very good. And it means that we have worth and value. There's something that should be incredibly affirming of who we are because we struggle, right? We struggle maybe with pride to, to step into this in a way that we think that we're, we're great. We find we're created by God, so we have limitations. We're the creation, not the creator. But we also find that we are often in a place of having low self-esteem or low self-worth. We don't think that we have value. And what we're invited into here is to be reminded that you are created in the image of God. You bear his likeness and, and you are worthy and glorious as a result. And that should be an incredible encouragement to us. This is where we begin. And it's true, if it's true of us, it's also true of all of those around us. And there are a lot of friends in here, so we look around the room, and this might be a little bit easier to think about as we, if you look to the right and left or front and back and say, yes, they're created in the image of God, but this is application for every single human being throughout history and around the world today, that there is the same structure and the same value. And yes, we can talk about ways in which it's broken and twisted, and we can talk about ways in which we should still be able to disagree and have conversation and consequences to action and all those things. And yet we start with every single person has value as one's created in the image of God. I think about uh, the way that I kind of grew up in the church and thinking about oftentimes this picture of Christians are better. Christians have it figured out. They're in right relationship to the creator, right? And, and some truth to being invited into right relationship with him. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and so sometimes that would then be turned to say that somebody who's not a follower of Jesus doesn't have as much value or as much worth. But that's absolutely not what we find in scripture, that we're all created in the image of God so that we start with a place of valuing the worth of others. C certainly true of Christians, non-Christians. You know, e even, even those, even the communists or even the capitalists or even the Republicans or even the Democrats or even the liberals or even the conservatives. I mean, just fill in the blank, even the mean people. Uh, and, and we could go on and on and on, even those pushing that, that particular agenda, all are created in the image of God. That's the place that we should start. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. It doesn't mean that we don't enter into conversation, that we can't disagree, and that we can't say there are consequences to different actions and beliefs, but that we would start with a place of value and worth 
of those that we interact with. Particularly necessary in a time of incredible polarization that we don't start with a place of valuing other people. We don't start by seeing others as created in the image of God. This is true across the board. And sometimes we, we acknowledge this in, in helpful ways. We, we, we recognize that, that value starts with being his image bearers as those uh, just created as human beings, right? So this is true of every single person. And hopefully uh, this wouldn't be a surprise for anybody in here that we're, we're engaged in the passage community, which is the facility right up Shelby here. We're getting more and more involved there. And it's a place that serves those uh, with intellectual and developmental disabilities, IDD. There's a a number of folks who live there with those disabilities, right? And we're engaged there because we recognize that they hold equal value to us. And I think we often do well to acknowledge that reality. To, To say, yes, those with intellectual and developmental disabilities, they are also created in the image of God and they hold value. But we quickly actually turn away from that idea in day-to-day life as we're engaging with folks who aren't producing enough or aren't bringing a benefit to me. We think of a relationship and who we're going to engage and how we're going to engage them based on what I'm going to get in return. What is their role and uh, how might that help me? We, we, We assign value by position or success or relationships that people have and And we're invited here to see that each and every one of us holds the same value. And that we wouldn't begin to to turn to those ways of thinking about things. Sometimes it is in the the more extreme circumstances when we don't value the the vulnerable. Uh, We we look at uh, those who are housing insecure and we feel uncomfortable around them. And uh, and so we, uh, we, we think about folks differently for different reasons uh, that those thoughts enter into our heads, but we're invited to see uh, the vulnerable as uh, having worth as those created in the image of God. And this being the thing that drives our relationships. True of the unhoused, the unborn, how we think about uh, the, the value of life, that it's, it's not dependent upon circumstances and implications and practicalities for others. And uh, we find that, the, as the church argues for the value and the worth of the unborn, that often it means that we don't value the life and the worth of those that are impacted, whether it be pregnant mothers or fathers, whether it be um, the, the families, whether it be those who disagree, right, demonize, uh, and don't think well uh, or value those that we disagree with, Right? There's a shaping and changing that we're invited into in the way that we think about other people and valuing them as those created in the image of God. I'll give another C.S. Lewis quote from The Weight of Glory. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, things that actually feel bigger oftentimes, these are mortal And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. 
But our merriment must be of that kind, and that is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. We're interacting with immortal beings. I remember the, our first pregnancy, and uh, one of my friends said, oh, you were part of creating uh, an eternal being. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> um, and I, I, he was, he was uh, making a, a joke a bit, uh, and, and yet recognizing the significance of a human life. I mean, he and I both recognize that ultimately that is a creation of God, not me. But that is the reality. An immortal being, uh, that our, our child was an immortal being, that each and every one in this room is an immortal being. It comes with a uh, heaviness, but as Lewis says, a, a joy and a celebration of the value that God has given you and given me. And hopefully we're able to, to see that beauty as we think about both ourselves and others. But we also recognize that we, we do live on this side of the fall. And so we, we are only able to get echoes of that glory. And sometimes it's hard for us to see that value or that worth or that beauty, whether we're thinking about ourselves or others. And so we know that the image is marred, it's twisted, it's broken. And yet, as I mentioned before, we see explicitly in places like Genesis 9 and James 3 that the, the value is still there, that it has not been destroyed, even if it's been twisted or marred. And yet, we, we experience the twisting. And so we struggle with the ability to value ourselves or the, the ability to value others. And into that mess, God enters in, valuing Humanity in such a way that he became one himself. And here is another mystery of the incarnation that God himself became an image of God. Valuing the physicality, the body, the, the world in which he created, humbling himself. Philippians 2 talks about him humbling himself to become a man. But he's also at the same time recognizing the value of you and me. And then he enters into this world and he lives as the perfect image of God. Colossians 1, 2 Corinthians 4. He is that perfect image, not marred by the fall, not twisted uh, by the rebellion and the brokenness and the turning from God. So that he is able to, through his body being broken and his blood poured out, his sacrifice, able to draw us into right relationship with the creator. So that we can have hope that we ourselves in our image bearing will be perfected. And that's the promise that we find in Ephesians 5, 27, Hebrews chapter 12, Revelation 21 and 22. That the way in which we image God will be one day perfected, made right. That all of the twisting will be untwisted. That all the brokenness will be fixed. That, that we will one day image God rightly. That's the hope that is offered through relationship with him. And that's really actually not just through relationship with him. That relationship with him is, is the goal. That's why we want to image him perfectly. Because we were created to be in relationship with him. And that's what we're invited into. And so we're now living in this time of, of redemption where things are being made right. They're not yet fully right. But 
there is great hope here. Uh, Hokema, who is a theologian who writes about being created in the image of God, uh, he talks about, this, this is what he says about redemption and the way that it is working in our lives. The image of God that has been perverted, though not totally lost, is being rectified. This is the redemption that we're in now. It's being set straight again. This is what we experience now. What happens in the redemptive process is that man, who is using his God-imaging powers in wrong ways, is now again enabled to use these powers in right ways. One day this will fully happen, but now we're even able to do this in more and more godly ways. Relational powers reflect God's reason. Moral sensitivity reflects God's moral nature. Fellowship and worship reflects God's communion in himself. Responding to other persons reflects God's responsiveness to us. Decision-making reflects God's willing. Aesthetic sense reflects God's beauty and love of it. So that all the things that we do in this world, as they're being redeemed, they reflect God more and more. That's the story that we're invited into. To move to this place where we will be once again image bearers of him in a way that's not broken, not twisted, but that is living in beautiful and right relationship with him. That's the story that we're invited into, to experience that value and that worth in him who is most valuable. That is an incredible promise. Not only that we are his image bearers created by him, but that we can be in perfect relationship with him. That's the promise of what he's given it, it, it is, a, in, in some sense, uh, overwhelming and yet glorious. And my prayer is that we all experience the overwhelming beauty of being created in his image, holding that value, and being invited into relationship with him. Let's pray.